0: And let me introduce you, first of all, to the panel that are going to be discussing that age-old question that Bill could spend a lot of time arguing about, which is, what is a classic film? How do you find one, how do you get one? Um, so from the far end, we have Alison Gardner. Now, Alison, I think you could call her a tastemaker, because she she's she brings the films that she thinks you'd like to see. to see. Or not to see. She's a co-director of the Glasgow Film Festival, and she is also head of cinema here at GMT. And sitting next to her is Dr. Rebecca Harris. Now, Rebecca likes films so much that she studies them. Uh, Don't pull a face. It's true. And you're very nice. She'll tell you about her studies into Star Wars, which she does. Um, But you are at the uh, Glasgow University uh, Film, Television and... Your time? Yes. That's yeah. correct. Well done me for remembering that. Uh, we also have Eve. Now Eve, Eve is such a new, exciting talent. I don't know you second name. What's your second name? Grant. Grant. And and Eve will also be joining us as an into film reporter, reviewer, um, doing everything there is. And beside her is Nick Varley. Now Nick is the man who brought you the print of Sun Like It Hot Today. Uh, Nick is co-founder of Park Circus, um, a really innovative uh, distributor company, which I'm going to paraphrase this horribly so you can correct me in a minute. Um, he scoops up classic films <laughs> and shows them to people and then they suddenly realise, my God, why don't we watch these films more often? Is that right?
1: Pretty much. I Refrain from scoop. The scoop sounds as if nobody wants them. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, yes, yes, in a, in a nutshell, yes.
0: I used to work for the Daily Record. We like to make things very nice. <laughs> um, and, uh, and can we just ask, before we, we start, some like it hot... What did you think? Yes?
1: Yeah, thumbs up.
0: Thumbs up, that's good. Had any of you seen Sun Like a Hot before? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Had no, so had, was there any here and it's. there's no wrong answer? Maybe not seen or heard of Sun Like a Hot. Interesting. So we'll be looking forward, we'll be throwing o- over this to a um, question and answer session in a week while, and I'd like to hear from both of you, I'm really interested in people who had just been, never seen this, had no idea what they were going to get, let alone Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon in dresses. <laughs> so let's sit down, and you guys can pick up microphones. We're going to start at Alison first. Alison's a, an old hand of microphones. It's a question I'm going to ask you all, though, which is, what do you think makes a classic film?
2: Um Obviously, the GFT, most of you will hopefully know this, but the GFT used to be the Cosmo and was built in 1939. So everything in that period that we've ever shown is a classic film. Um, For me, I think the classic films, and certainly we are big supporters of Nick and Park Circus' work, uh, essentially is a film that you might not have seen for quite a long time on the big screen. You probably do know it. It's those films that we used to watch on BBC Two in an afternoon, which they never show these films anymore. You're
1: showing your age, Alison. I know, I am showing
2: um, Films like Ziegfeld Folly, kind of the classics of all time. I used to sit there with my uh, once-a-week Mars bar and a cup of coffee, crying into my coffee. It was so dramatic and incredibly <laughs> sad. Um, but these sort of films are films that audiences haven't really had the opportunity to catch on the big screen for a while. And then have been lovingly restored um, and then brought back to the big screen and Nick was involved in the restoration of some like a hall and I think you'll agree it looks great on the big screen. The thing about the big screen experience for me watching a classic film there um, and obviously I'm speaking as the mother of uh, teenagers is um, you don't interrupt your viewing when you're watching it on the big screen unlike at home for example where even I will pause something make a cup of tea oh, my floor's quite dirty in the kitchen, I'll wash the kitchen floor. I'm sure none of you do that. But, and then go back to the film. Why it's more important to see them in the cinema is you don't have that interruption. So that's a classic film for me.
0: Can I ask you, Rebecca, do you have a, a film that you think is just a standard stone-cold classic? No. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Interesting, why? OK, um, so I'm probably going to be a slightly more controversial voice in the room, um, acknowledging that, our, that there are many many different kind of responses to the question about what a classic film is um, however i can tell you what i think one generally is and then i'm going to tell you why i think it's wrong um, so i think what people tend to do when they talk about classic film is privilege films directed by white men um, and the more dead that white man is the more it gets privileged um, so there are a number of problems with that um, it basically kind of limits what kinds of films we watch um, it limits what kinds of films get reruns in cinemas. Uh, it limits what kind of films get considered good when critics are writing about them. Um, and it, generally speaking, means that we miss out on a ton of film history. Um, so I have, I'm going to kind of flip this around a bit um, and just ask everyone a question. So who has heard of Charlie Chaplin? Okay, pretty much everyone. Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> right, <laughs> okay, so now who has heard of Lois Webber? <laughs> one person at the back, <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, two, okay, uh, who has heard of Dorothy Arsner? One, okay, uh, who has heard of, I'll go for an easier one, Ava De DuVernay? Still only a handful, she's making some great films right now. Okay, so that tells you something, all of the names that I just said that no one's seen their films, all women, all made enormous big, like kind of popular films, all the way through film history, and no one knows who they are anymore. And this is because when we talk about classic film, we're always saying if you're a white guy, your film gets remembered. So my, my response is to say we should tear up the rule book, stop talking about classic film, and if we're going to keep using that, we need to be kind of much more uh, accommodating of all the different great films that are out there.
0: Okay, that's one view. Um, you might, uh, I don't know, want to discuss this in depth later on. Um, Eve, what about you? Though, um, have you? Do you think there's anything that would count to you as a modern, for, uh, a modern classic film? Although, obviously, that phrase is now contentious and <laughs> <laughs> tricky. But, 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 do you have you seen anything that you thought, yeah, this is something that's for the ages?
4: Yeah. Well, for me personally, if we're talking about I think classics. Talking about classics, it's such a, a broad range of films, but it's kind of making it a, a personal classic for me. Would be I'm seventeen, so films that are kind of made recently have had a big impact on me that I watched when I was younger. So films like Nancy Myers, The Parent Trap. Um, I think the reason that I find that is a, I find that a classic is just because I've had such a personal experience watching it when I was younger. It has I have lots of happy memories watching it with like family and friends, and also seeing kind of two young girls that I could kind of relate to on the screen. That was quite big for me, and also. In terms of films that were made recently, I'm a big fan of Benedict Cumberbatch. Um a huge fan of The Imitation Game, which is a film that he made recently. Um, and the reason I would class that as a personal classic is because it confirmed for me my desire to be a filmmaker. So I think films like that, which have some sort of lasting impact on you, make you want to do something or remind you of a certain thing when you watch it, I think I would class them as classic films. Now
0: Nick, you did nothing but
1: all day I do have a life beyond that yes, yes, in my professional life don't spoil my personal vision
0: but I mean yes, do you have a personal
1: favourite? the answer is no and I think when one tries to define what a classic film is you're presented with a huge set of problems quite a few of them have been mentioned here already When you talk about classic film, what you're actually talking about is film history. And we all have a different perspective on history. Whatever that history is, we're here talking about cinema. So, you know, if I was to take a room full of people ageing from 90 to 20, every one of those would have a different view of what a classic film is because it's very generational. Um, You know, my friend here has just mentioned two films that Some of my age would probably say, well, they're not classic films because... So it's a very personal thing. I think what we accept is that there is a certain body of film work which, whether we like those films or not, we acknowledge that they are great films. Mm. Um, But, you know, for me, it's a very personal thing. If you were to ask me, well, what's your your favourite film, which I knew you are probably going to ask at some point... Um, well, I can't answer that question because it depends day-to-day, mm. feeling-to-feeling what you're in the mood for. And, um, you know, w- what I would say to people is don't go into to film history, don't go into history in general, with any sort of preconceived ideas about what you've been told is a classic film. You know, um, we all acknowledge that Citizen Kane and the Casablanca are great films. I personally don't like Citizen Kane. But I acknowledge it's a great film in the canon of of, of film work. Um, so what I would always say to people is, just enjoy cinema. You know, classic cinema is what you want it to be. It's maybe a film that was made three years ago, it's maybe a film that was made 80 years ago. <laughs> One isn't better than the other. It's a personal choice.
0: I mean, it's interesting that you mention Citizen King, because of course that's the film that tops best films ever made of all time lists, critics' lists, and yet... I don't know. Um, I've spoken to a lot of modern audiences, and they go, "It's boring. It's slow. Well, it's black and white." But that's the
1: question, is <laughs> it? Isn't it? Does it top the list because everybody feels they have to say that's the greatest film of all yeah. time, or does it top the list because it is actually a great film of all time? It's a purely personal. It's a personal look. You're a film critic, you know. He goes, you know. The thing about film critics is that, you know, when you sit and... I mean, I remember as a child watching Barry Norman on television, and everybody was, oh, well, it must be Barry Norman said you've got... It's a personal opinion. You know, you go, and we acknowledge, because it's your profession, it's your job, you see many films, that your opinion matters for something, but it is still just your personal <laughs> opinion. And the same applies when these wretched... And I actually quite hate these... These lists of greatest films because what does it actually mean? <laughs> it means people all agree with one another that they don't want to be the fool that says, Well, actually, I don't like that picture. Um, and so, what I would encourage people to do is have their own list of greatest films and yes, listen to what other people say, but make your own mind up.
0: Who <laughs> about, Sorry, yes, pick up
4: microphones.
5: I was just going to say. Leave the
4: revolution. <laughs> <laughs> I was even going to say about those lists, you're right. Like, who decides? It's someone's opinion in that in the first place, and who decides those lists or whatever doesn't. It's not a right or a wrong, you know. Just,
0: yeah. No, that's a that's a good point. The point I was going to take over to Alison is, I mean, it's coming up for Christmas, there's every chance I think it's a wonderful life is going to be showing at the GFT.
1: We that's hope. So. We hope so. <laughs> it is,
2: and uh, it's the GFT pantal. We call it in the office.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, does that deserve? classic status because clearly it has survivability it endures yes I think it does
2: because I think for me it's an unusual Christmas film even though everybody thinks it's a Christmas film first of all it's anti-banker left-wing and about suicide that's not a traditional Christmas film um, all of which are good points in my not the suicide but But certainly the uh, left-wing sort of socialist Slightly socialist for America uh, outlook on it. It's a good thing, and the reason why people like it is because it warms their heart. It's, it speaks to people emotionally. That's why it's a classic film. But there's lots of films like that, Christmas films that people would never put in the top ten list of great Christmas films. For example, Meet Me in St. Louis is one of my favourite Christmas films because it's got Christmas scene in it, and I always cry in that film as well. So it's really about that emotional connection that we talked about earlier.
1: Can I just I just want to come back on something on It's a Wonderful Life because one of the reasons that is so popular it not actually. It's a great film to watch, but, I mean, really, it's no better than a hundred other films you could watch. The reason it's so popular, and a lot of people maybe don't know this, is that in the 1960s, a few crooks in Hollywood (laughs) deemed the film to be in the public domain. It wasn't at all. But what that meant was that all the TV stations started showing it endlessly, endlessly, because they didn't have to pay for it. And so everybody got used to watching it. It was everywhere. And it it, it went into the sort of the... The public side of this is some great Christmas film that everyone should go and see. What I would say, it is a great film. And as a company, we love it because it's one of <laughs> our best performing films. Um, but what I would say is that there are so many great Christmas films. Actually, arguably, there's a film called The Bishop's Wife that is a far better film, but with very similar themes mm-hmm. to It's so a Wonderful Life. I would encourage you all to see if you haven't seen it. And, you know, Alison also me, mentioned Meet Me in St. Louis, White Christmas... There's nothing Christmassy about them apart from one song, but they're still great films to watch. So yes, It's a Wonderful Life is a classic, but those are the reasons why people still go and watch it today. It's nothing to do with the high quality filmmaking and everything to do with the fact that it was so available for many years.
3: I think this kind of question of um, how things become classic films is one that's really important and that we have to think about some more, Um, particularly... You know, as, he said to, as Nick said to Siobhan, you know, it does, whether you're a critic or just an ordinary member of the audience, it is just an opinion, but whose opinion we listen to and who gets to have opinions and whose opinions are in the public domain is really, really limited. Um, and there are ways in which people become gatekeepers that a lot of us don't have any control over. So Siobhan might work as a film critic, um, but she is representing probably just like one in about 22% of film critics. Uh, because 78 percent of film critics or at least the the people who were reviewing the top films of last year 78 percent of them were white men so actually like whose opinion we listen to um who gets to be ceo of a company deciding what a classic film is and putting it out there um deciding you know what everyone else talks about is really determined on your identity so if we're thinking about like a opinion, um, it's going to always be skewed in one direction. Um, and I think that's the thing that we have to sort of acknowledge and, and really start to work
1: past. Well, the reason I'm the CEO of a company that specialise in classic film is because I had the passion and the drive to set the company up, <laughs> um, I would say, but um, just in response to that. But you're absolutely right. But, you know, it does come down to this. The, these things are always a matter of opinion. Now, yes, there are certain people that have a platform on which to express their views and those opinions and doesn't make them invalid. And could it be more balanced? Yes, of course. Um, But, you know, we are, at the end of the day, all individuals and we all have access to films. We have more access to film. And believe me, you know, I'm my mid-40s, probably twice the age of most people here. You know, when I was young, when I was your age, it was very difficult to see a lot of the films that are available because, you know iTunes didn't exist, Netflix didn't exist, you know, VHS was kind of wishy-washy poor quality and, you know, they only released the films that they thought would make money. You are in a privileged position because pretty much every film that was ever made is available to you in one format or another. You just have to look for it. And so as individuals, you can go out there and you can... Throw yourself into this world of film and decide for yourself what a classic film is, or what a good film is, or what a bad film is. And that's your opinion. People may disagree with you, you may disagree with them, doesn't make it a wrong opinion. And that's, that's where I always come to when people say to me, well, what's a classic film? It's up to you.
3: I mean, I would, I would just add to that, that the fact that so many people in the room had heard of Chaplin and Hitchcock, but had not heard of Weber or Asner... Means that know, actually it's Mary
0: Pickford, I think, uh, in certain times. So possibly Mary Pickford.
3: Anyone? yeah. 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 Okay. But so I mean, there's still a massive disparity in who's heard of. So yet yeah, all of these films are freely available, and yet you can individually just go and find them. But how are you going to know they're there unless people who you listen to talking about film actually tell you that they exist? So I think we actually do have a responsibility as critics, curators educated, to share this stuff. I, think, oh sorry,
1: can I, if people, I just want to say, if people are inquisitive, okay, though, on. and curious, they want to learn. And if you want to learn, then you go and find these things.
4: So, like Nick there was talking about accessibility, but I'd actually be quite interested. So, I'm 17, like, how, like, obviously, a couple of you said you've seen some like A Hot Before, but do you think films like that from the mid, like from the 1950s are accessible for people our age? No. Yes. Yeah, to an extent. what? Yeah. Why? Like, is it because of like Netflix and Prime and things that you think it's accessible? It
6: is on Netflix and a lot of the streaming sites, but there is like if you if you have the oh, obviously the internet has all the information we need. So if you can, if you like certain films, it leads you to other films, and then if you find say that one, you can try on DVD. But like, it's not that expensive either, and there's many many platforms that's available.
4: And for people who said it.
0: What we <laughs> do, because we're a professional outfit, is that right? we'll come around with the microphone so that we can hear... I'll, I'll yeah. Oh, excellent. Right, well, we'll do some pointing and all the rest of it in a minute. So, yes, if you are going to ask questions of oh, the audience, that's fantastic. I'll we'll point those so we can get the microphone to them. Sorry, you were just saying...
4: No, but it's just, people, people who said it wasn't accessible, I'd just be interested in seeing, hearing why you don't think it's accessible.
7: I was going to say, I really I don't think it's successful. I think streaming sites like Netflix and Amazon Prime are constantly being updated, but not with anything from like an, an older era. It's constantly being updated. So we've got Marvel on, we've got um, Lord of the Rings on, but things like um Some Like It Hot are kind of shoved by the wayside. A bit tongue-tied, shoved by the wayside. And I think to find things like Some Like It Hot, you really need to know where to find them, where they are accessible. And that's a bit of a mystery. Well, I think it is personally a mystery for people my age. I know there's like, um, I don't know, there's like groups, there's fanatics for black and white films, for older films, but I think for like a broader age group, it's shoved away by Robert Downey Jr.
1: (laughs) You've actually hit on a a problem here that the industry, the film industry has, um, and it's only going to get worse because... um, you know, companies like Warner Brothers and Disney are now mounting their rival versions to Netflix. So you're all going to be invited to subscribe to a multitude of, of online platforms eventually. But the big problem is exactly that. Um, you know, when one goes to this, when, when you come to the GFT, you probably don't think about it, but, you know, when you come to any cinema, but the GFT in particular, when you come to the GFT, you know, people like Alison have spent time looking at films Putting a programme together of films that you might not necessarily like, but are films that you know she has deemed of suitable quality and range of, of interest that will be interesting to, to the audience that comes to the GFT. And you get a programme or you go online and you, you choose, oh well actually, yeah, I think I'll quite fancy that. Problem with all the online platforms is that it's all there. Everything's there, but there's no sign there's nobody saying, Well, actually, you know, you really should go and watch this film because. And that's a big problem as these Big multinationals start launching their own platforms. Warner Brothers owns ten thousand films and God knows how many TV series. You know, how do you direct people as to what to watch? Other than Marvel and you know Mamma Mia 2 and what and that, and that is the problem. And as yet none of those companies have come up with a solution to that. So I would get thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
2: awesome, is that um I'm I'm happy to be the gatekeeper. I obviously know best for all of you, just like I know for my <laughs> <laughs> um That's not strictly true, but um, we have to balance that GFT here is a not for profit making educational charity, so everything that goes on in this building, the money's ploughed back into this building, so for everybody. So every penny you spend here is not going to a shareholder, for example. So for me, that's a very important point. But we, I do have to look very carefully at the breadth and range of films and we do about 650 films a year here at GFT on three screens um, and we do try and cover a lot of ground in terms of films from across the world films from um, uh, different uh, so for example we're doing the London Korean Film Festival we're doing uh, things from that so we do try and look at lots of different areas of interest Scotland Loves Anime for example so we take a lot of those films but it is a tough job because i now say no more often than i say yes so there's on average 19 films released every week in the, the uk and so obviously with three screens i can't obviously show all those but there's lots of films i wouldn't show for example bohemian rhapsody you know i wouldn't show that here at gft because there's no need for me to show it because it's on at every other cinema in glasgow so i need to look for those films that are not getting the screen time as well so that does come back to supporting local films at your local neighbourhood cinema, which is us, and you should be here every week.
8: <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, That's good. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to, to cyberstock you in the CRA. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Note as a film critic, impossible gatekeeper, that no one pays any attention to me at all. People are wired to my taste. It's
1: absolutely true. Yeah, it's absolutely I mean, true.
0: Yeah, I said, Don't go and see the greatest Sherman. Nobody paid any attention. <laughs> Titanic didn't like it. That's the response to the Titanic audience <laughs> <laughs> Come back. Yeah. I quite like Kate Winslet. <laughs> <laughs>
8: Bye, guys.
2: Thank you for coming.
0: Thank Enjoy you your very lunch. Very don't
5: take any ship journeys. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knew
0: there were quite so many Titanic films? <laughs> <Titanic. laughs> right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it is a horse's course's
6: argument. I, I, uh, um, you've got a question here. or a point to make. <laughs> But would
0: you not say that Titanic is like a classical film? Yeah. A classic film because it survives? Yes. I would say that in, in, if you're going to use classics as as a question of taste, then, you know, you could say it's classic, but there are, I suppose, and this is something that I was trying to draw us around to, there are different criteria for classic films, it's not just about popularity and survivability, it's about, um, well, about many other things, mm. and we're going to start with, Alison, and Mark work way down as to what you think makes a film, if not classic, endure?
2: Okay, Die Hard and The Matrix, mm. oh, and Aliens 2, which is my favourite film of all time, yeah, so <laughs> that is really... That's, I don't like to show off. As often That's the as I January
1: do. program for the GFT. <laughs>
2: <Exactly>. <laughs> Die Hard and Matrix, because they're films that you can watch over and over again, and you don't you see something different in them every time, and you also need to quote the words, etc., etc. So those sort of films are films that people endure. They they really like them, and so they take them to their heart. So for me, Die Hard and the Matrix are classic films. Okay.
0: So, Becca, we're going to slightly dodge it because uh, with you, we're not going to talk about classic films. We're going to talk about great films, though, because that opens up, I think, the field again. Um, And and what makes an enduring great movie? Uh,
3: For me, it's something that makes me think and something that moves me. So it has to have a combination of um, making me see something in a different way or making me sort of step out of my own experience a bit, but it also has to make me feel something, which I think is like the most powerful thing about cinema. Um, it's all well and good having like a super intellectual highbrow film, but if it doesn't make me feel differently or make me feel anything, I don't think it worked. Um, and I am a chronic crier at the cinema. <laughs> um, so a lot of films would get great status for me on that basis. How
4: about you, Ian? I think films that get me to question things, things that I didn't, kind of similar to you, things I didn't think of before and encourage me to think of things that I would never... Have thought over stories I would have never have heard of otherwise. Um, I think, in terms of what makes a great film, a tough question. Um, just stories that resonate with you, themes and values that stick to you. Um, yeah, I think broadly all those lines. Okay,
0: Nick. Well, Any top tips on how to make your film last and last
1: and last. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal something from. Um, director Vincent Minelli, um, who, when interviewed about this subject, about, you know, what makes a great film, summed it up like this, and I think it probably applies to me. A bad film you can see once and it's enough. A great film you can see a million different times. And every time you see it, you see something new. I think that's what makes... A great film. Not a classic film, a great film.
0: Well, I said we were going to come back to you guys particularly uh, at, at this point. And, and I think you've, you have seen what has been called a classic film. You've seen Sun Like It Hot. I, I wanted to hear people who've seen it before. And also, I'm fascinated by people who had not heard of it and had not seen it before. Because, I mean, what do you make, people who haven't seen Sun Like It Hot before, what did you make of... Um, of Tony Curtis and his Cary Grant impression. I mean, <laughs> nobody talks like that. Did <laughs> that just you know, so Who Cary Grant is? Yeah, well, that's it. Do, do these things date? I mean, and, and does that make the film less accessible? That's the question. So anybody who hasn't seen Sunlight like and Hot, could you respond about whether what you thought of it, whether you thought it was a good film, a funny film, whether there were bits that you just thought, what's that about? If we can get the microphone over to this gentleman just in the corner
5: here. Uh, I didn't like the movie like, at all uh, because I don't think it dated well, like like some people consider it a classic movie but I don't think it is because like, if you look at everything we hold now I don't think you can look at it and say oh this is a great movie because like, the basis of misogyny and all the ideo- ideologies behind the entire movie is just flawed so I'd, I'd didn't really like it. So you found it sexist? Yeah, sexist and just awful. In what way? I mean, like, the representation of women and the sexuality and how they're portrayed is just... N- no. Are you talking particularly about Sugar Kane
0: being a bit of a dumb blonde?
5: No, like, all of them, like, they, they overly sexualise women and, like, okay. and Marlon Monroe always wear, I mean, nothing. <laughs> Marlon Monroe never wore anything. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that,
5: and that's true. Yeah, I mean, she's a woman. Like, they don't have to sexualise her just to play a part. Do you know what I mean? That's interesting. Did you laugh at all at that? Like,
0: or just
5: just out of interest. I
0: mean, it's not. I'm not saying you're right or wrong, but just. I'm wondering. I if, laugh.
5: Did you laugh? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I found it funny. To like, yeah. I I didn't. I laughed because I mean, everyone else was laughing. <laughs> I didn't yeah. find what was being
3: shown to me funny.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So,
3: I mean... It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank. you're keen to... Yeah, well, I mean, the film is... And this is one of the difficult... I mean, to be honest, it's one of the difficulties with watching almost any film. Like, it doesn't really matter when it's made. Like, most Hollywood film is sexist. And the representation of most women is pretty awful. Um, but this one, I thought, was kind of... It's quite a difficult watch. It's the same when you watch a lot of older films. You have to sometimes step back from the, the kind of... The values that you hold and to kind of place them in a historical context. But you can also look at them and think about them and judge them according to your own tastes and values. And I just... One thing that I was really interested in was what anyone made of the the kind of gender-swapping sort of narrative device. Did anyone... Because I just thought it, like, so... Speaks to a lot of uh, kind of discussions and debates, which shouldn't really be debates, around trans identity and, like, kind of narratives about what... Um, like men who dress as women are doing in particular spaces and I just wondered if anyone sort of picked up on that or had any thoughts about it.
5: Being trans it's like you sit and watch a movie and you're, you're like why is this being represented? So like for me you sit and watch a movie where like the roles are reversed especially when like Marlon and all, and I don't know what his name when they were like bit, Tony Curtis. Yeah like yeah. when they were like kissing and stuff yeah. like how she took the more dominant Role and like if it was reversed, uh, it would be really really disgusting to watch, and you would be you would cringe at it because obviously she would be getting like used as like a woman. But like to see him be used is like you don't really question it because obviously it's it's like a man. Because back then we wouldn't question it because men were in like a position of authority, so you kind of just sit there and you're like, okay. But like, from a trans perspective, um, to see like, the representation of like, two men dressing up as women, uh, like, back then I, wouldn't, I don't think you would question it, mm. but like, now I think you do.
1: Can I just say, having spent time with uh, the filmmakers of this film, um, I was, no, I, not Billy, but um, <laughs> I, 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 met, I met him very briefly, not long before he died, but it was literally just a hell of a, we didn't, There was no discussion. Uh, but no, but with the producers of this film and, and some of the other people involved, you know, what you say is totally valid. But what I would say is that when this film was made, as today, the ridiculousness of the story is what matters. It's actually set in 1929, it's not set in 1959. But you know, the whole. The premise of the story is ridiculous in itself. It's not meant to be. And Billy Wilde, I'm sure, never had any intention for it to be a serious commentary on anything. It's just a piece of nonsense, you know. And I think, absolutely, you know, we're 50 years on, you know, our attitudes have changed to a lot of things, and that's as it should be. Um, But when you're watching anything, when you're looking at any piece of... Anything that's historical, whether it's a film or it's a recording or, you know, a history book, I think, you know, you've got to actually put yourself into the mindset of an audience watching that film in 1959 and not necessarily just apply what we think about something, because otherwise, what's the alternative? You suddenly start saying, well, actually, all these films... They're not acceptable, we shouldn't watch them. Yes, that's the gone with the wind argument. That's the gone yeah, with the wind argument. it's very difficult to, to
0: modern audience views of um, or, or, or particular... Absolutely, life. and let me tell well, you... But it is also about 10 years after Breath of the Nation, or 20 years after Breath of the Nation, you think, you know, how far we've come, how
1: far we haven't. Absolutely, and you have to watch it in that... You have to watch all films and listen to everything. You can't just start erasing things. and re- Debate it, discuss it, absolutely... But whatever you do, whether it's film or anything else, you can't ignore it. You can't push it to one side. Okay, we've got a response coming in from the audience. I think that's a very valid
6: point. Like, You can't erase things, because that's the way people forget, and those things happen again and again and again. We need to remember every little thing. Like, Birth Nation, I've seen it. It's quite a shocking piece of cinema. It's long, it's shocking. and a lot of It's like, also the, very boring, actually. <laughs> it's, it's, it's It's drawn out so much. But because it, I'm very interested in silent film, I'm interested in watching all of it. Like, and I have no prejudice, I'm a very open-minded person, but I, like, some things you just need to know and you need to see, because if you don't, then you're not going to understand what it was, the message of it, and you're not going to make an opinion based on yourself. You're not going to say, I I think this is wrong, but I need to show people this so they can hopefully have the same opinion as me, and that's the way of differentiating people from their opinions. Like, if you show someone Birth of a Nation, you're going to say, they're going to kind of go, Oh yeah, that was shocking. It was an interesting piece of cinema, but it was shocking, but that's going to differentiate people. Some people might go, that was brilliant, oh, I loved every bit of it, it was hilarious. Then you're kind of going to go a mm, bit, I don't think you're the type of person I really want to hang about with, so you need that differentiation, <laughs> <laughs> so you can...
0: Films that sort out what your
6: pal should be. <laughs> that, is one, that is one of the things, but also it's like a heavily cultural thing, so you need to, like I said, like you said, not, not erase things, that's very bad, that's going to be the end almost. The things. That's why oh, we want we... things so much to cement them, so people can know things about, like, imagine all the things we could have had, we could have known about the past if they had the technology we have today. It would be <laughs> a whole different world.
1: Well, I mean, even this film, absolutely, you know, attitudes have changed so much for the better. Doesn't, doesn't need to stop us laughing at this.
3: I find the, finding, is the, the is that film
1: made, making very high quality. The
3: problem is the attitudes haven't changed.
1: That's the problem,
3: and, it, and it's all good to say this film is just like sending something up, and it's all meant as a joke. But it is actually representing something that people are actually using quite seriously, and are really seriously saying and damaging other people's. So what lives do you with. say?
1: Do you say people shouldn't watch the film then? That's you not what make I'm saying. The film no, I'm
3: not saying. But I'm saying why are we paying so much attention to things that are so damaging and so dangerous and like? perpetuating these really horrible narratives about certain people in our society when we could be watching other films. Well, because and millions we be watching of watching
1: people movies? around the world still sort of find it enjoyable. <laughs> that's a
3: personal opinion. Absolutely. To, like, to feel that way, that's a personal opinion for, like, for, a, for a woman myself, and I've obviously been so for women empowerment, but that doesn't mean that a certain movie, just because it shows certain things or acts a certain way in a certain time, it makes it unreasonable and unacceptable now. But it kind of, actually, and so one of the, what the point I was going to get to making, was that we say like, oh actually at the time people had different values, and, and a lot of the time people did, but one thing that's really important to remember, I'm a, fil- like I'm a film historian, I spend a lot of time reading and researching what people did actually think at the time a lot of these films came out, and a lot of people then thought that these films were racist, sexist, that they didn't do gender things properly, that they represented disabled people badly, that they weren't really right in thinking about sexuality. People aren't just like... Because they're in the 1950s, people weren't just like totally racist and totally sexist without questioning it. People at the time did think that about these films. And we just keep showing them and not talking about it. Well,
0: surely the, your, the point is that sort of... That's counterintuitive. What, what you're saying is people were interrogating them at the time.
3: People did interrogate them at the time, but that, but we still... but they people interrogated at them at the time but in a kind of mainstream context they still get shown and privileged so you would Take get one some from here
7: sorry i don't want to interrupt <laughs> no 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 because no. there was some good points being brought up but i just wanted to mention it hasn't stopped it's still brought up an awful lot because i had an argument with uh within my friend group quite recently about the simpsons and i know this is film and tv completely different but Apu and the simpsons who was a racial stereotype played by a white man. And there was this, there was a massive controversy about whether this guy should lose his job because he was perpetuating a stereotype. And I said, yes, he should have lost his job because it was... It's, it's something so outdated that's... Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I'm talking too fast. It's something that's still caught up an awful lot in cinema, I find, as well, with this whole whitewashing of characters where, like or like the, what was the name of the actor Scarlett Johansson was gonna play someone and there was a lot of controversy around that, it blew up, and I just think it really needs to... (laughs) (laughs) It really needs
0: to what? It really needs to change or we really need to talk
7: about it? It needs to change, it needs to be more open. I think it's just, sorry, (laughs) it really needs to change. It needs to be more, I don't know,
0: fair. Now, I know that we're supposed to finish now, so I'm just having a little look to see uh, if we've got any of the organisers. If we have uh, time for a little bit more time, yeah, or if we don't have to, we do yeah. have time for a bit I'm more time. Because uh, I can see that people have got we points to, to make. And there's <laughs> this young lady with the ponytail. Mm-hmm. Many a point
8: to make here. The Simpsons, Apu. It's an entire show about stereotypes. I do agree that it's racist. It is. But it's a show about stereotypes. It's been going on for 20 years, and on top of that, like Apu is like one of the top five characters. So while I do think it should be toned down and there should be some kind of change to it, I don't think it should be taken out entirely, because surely that's oh, no, I'm not taken out entirely. <laughs> I'm very I upset the about the other thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the film, for me as a woman yes, I actually thought it was quite not empowering, obviously that's silly, but um like the way like Marlon Monroe was so like in control of her sexuality, like she was the one like thingy, and I do think like Tony Curtis was a handsome man, yes. Even more handsome now he's dead, but um <laughs> oh, that's <sick. laughs> um, but, um, my point? Um, like I do think that obviously I can't speak on trans issues or like racial issues, but um like it did like there were like some points where I had cringed and went, Oh that's a bit awkward, like in like the left where the the mob guys are pure which what's a room number? I was sure that is weird. <laughs> Someone that asked me please. But um, I don't think it's like it's a good film. I very much like the film, but um, I don't think it's like some huge big problem. Like I feel like maybe like yeah, you have to watch it from like this is not like seriously.
0: Excellent. I'm glad to see that people at the back have joined us now. Yay. So there's and, uh, if we can get the microphone uh, to the corner, we've got one in the middle in a burgundy jumper and one just a long probe there in brown. So we can sort of go one, two,
6: three, there. Okay. Now, so. You know, how people are saying they were getting quite offended by all this stuff. What you should really actually do is like research it, and see if you don't get offended by it, you get like or that.
1: But if you don't like it, just don't go. Okay. Anyway, do you think it's going to be a good movie? Go see, put your opinion towards it. But do you not think... Sorry, do, do you not... Actually, if if that is the the sort of state of affairs we've got to, absolutely. But actually, do you not think... The reason we go to the cinema is not necessarily always just because we've looked at the thing from beginning to end and said we might enjoy it, we might not enjoy it, we're better. It's actually to be challenged. Yeah. It's actually to see things... That may be a little bit uncomfortable for us to watch sometimes and be challenged by that, for good or bad. And once you start saying, Well, I'm only gonna see the things that actually are gonna keep me happy, then you're gonna start having a very narrow viewpoint on things. you uh, mm-hmm. won't exist.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's true
4: because yeah, Eve, we haven't really heard from you. Yeah. Well, oh, actually I was just gonna pick up on something that you were talking about sexual like girls' blonde hair. T- I'm calling you girl with blonde hair, t- I'm like Chloe, okay. Uh, But linking it off to that idea of sexuality, what I find particularly interesting about Some Like It Hot, and it's it's been reflected in film since, is that you have these two struggling men, two struggling artists who I think at the end of the day become better men after becoming women, after pretending to be women. Well, not better men, but possibly they're learning more about themselves through learning about the female experience. I think that's quite an interesting take on it. Um, We're talking about gender politics within it. when, as soon as they start dressing up as women, they are exposed to the realities of what the of like what women are exposed to day in and day out. Like they're on the train, they're about to get onto the train to go join with the, the jazz girls, and the guy goes and slaps him on the butt, and he's like, "What you doing? What you doing?" And it's as if like this is what women have to endure every day. I think that's quite an interesting, and for a film that was made in the nineteen fifties, I think that's almost quite a progressive <laughs> idea of like men acknowledging the female experience in a little bit more detail. Thank you. That was almost the same point um, as I had. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> she stole your point. But at the end of
5: the day, is, they do recognise like what women need to go through, and it's like not like, oh, the fair sex, this is what happens. We didn't know. And another point, on to the end. I know it's like, taken as a big joke, so it probably isn't the best, but you know what he says as a man? Yep. And then he's like, everyone's... Obviously, not everyone's perfect. I liked that it wasn't met with disgust. Yeah. I'm so used to watching films, everything gay and stuff. Met with disgust. It was a joke. It's just really relieved. I was like, waiting for it. I'm like, oh, he's going to be raging. It was, it was fine with <laughs> it. Interesting. And it was just quite nice to see. I just wanted to say, I think actually, for
8: all of its flaws and kind of outdated, um, I find the film quite self-aware in a way. And just coming back to the fact of like, I do think with classic cinema there often its an issue with yeah outdated the mentality, misogyny, etc but I don't think it's right to censor it like but there's value in rewatching it and like addressing those issues and recognizing it and not see where to go from there and like still just being able to recognize that it's um oh, for me personally I think this is a great film it's so clever and so well done and she just kind of like yeah like you can recognize all of its flaws. But you can still appreciate it and you can fill them those flaws, and you can discuss and then, you know, see how to move forward. Something that we have problems with and we
2: discuss a lot in the office because obviously we see, have seen these films and we want to show some of them again but we realise there is context and how do we explain in our brochure the contextual things that we think audiences might have issue with. And obviously we try to do that and then modern social media, you always get one person. One person who tweets to complain about the thing, and then millions of, not millions, maybe ten, really other annoying people. <laughs> GFT after all, we're not Taylor Swift. Um, ten people then join in with the thing, but people who haven't either seen the film or read what we have contextualised as to why we are showing the film here at GFT. We have seen the pitfalls and we realise that. So it's something that we do think about here at the GFT quite a lot. And we do try and present it in context because I am of the same opinion as most of the panel here um, that we shouldn't be not showing things. We should be making space to show it and have context.
3: Yeah, I think... I. I think you make a really good point, and it's really interesting that listening to a lot of people talking and responding to the film, people are talking about either being critical of it or enjoying it. But one of the things that's really important to remember is that you can do both at the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, If you couldn't enjoy something and be really, really critical of it, I wouldn't enjoy anything. Um, So, I mean, I write about Star Wars. It's like one of my favourite films. There's tons of problems with it in terms of identity. And it's absolutely like, my family always get really confused after seeing a film with me because they're like, oh, so you hated it then. And I'm like, oh no, I really liked it. Like I can enjoy it on a level where I'm like entertained by something, but that doesn't mean I'm not also thinking, well, why was it doing this? Why was it being, like, why did it have to do that? Why, like it's still part of a, a system that's like oppressing a lot of people. Like you can both enjoy something and not feel guilty about enjoying it and also be critical and that's
1: absolutely fine. But you know, I think that's the wonderful thing about cinema, I think you just encapsulated there, is that, you know, we've all sat and watched this film and we have varying opinions about the film or the subject matter but the wonderful thing is you can go away afterwards and because you've seen a community you can talk about it amongst yourselves and you can debate why you liked something why you didn't like it. You know, Isn't that much better than just, you know, being very, you know, saying, well, actually, you know, it's an old film and, you know, the themes are no longer relevant, so we shouldn't watch it.
4: Mm. I think that's a really interesting thing about, like, Park Circus bringing films like that to life, uh, bringing them back to the cinema and making them accessible through these cinemas is, especially, like, amongst young people, having conversations about what we think about these themes, um, having arguments, having debates, questioning things... um, yeah, I find it very interesting watching that film again. Like watching it now, having just seen it, I watched it earlier this week and thinking about new ideas and talking about it with other people my age in great depth. And I'm, that's like one of the things I love about going to see films in like a cinema setting is having that opportunity to chat. But
0: we're I think out of time. But I'm so tempted to give. Uh... Grey hat and go. I've got the, the microphone
1: mic because she has a mess. Oh feet, so, <laughs> um, you've got the mic, so I've had it for five minutes you had, Sorry. what well, we, okay,
0: we'll we, so, we can do two. We can do we can do two. We can do two. We will do two so so and then we'll
1: sh- and then we will that's
6: cool. uh, I just wanted to bring up a point that you was mentioning at uh, it's Eve, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I was saying earlier about um, so films where the male characters would dress up as female characters and become better people out of it. So I feel like that's a really overused trope, to be quite honest, because what's the latest films i have done it? Um recent one, obviously not incredibly recent, but White Chicks, right? So it's... Not one of the modern classics. Not one of the modern classics. <laughs> <laughs> not a classic in this latest, right? It's hilarious but that um... <laughs> <laughs> So my whole question is, like, do we all feel the same them. way about White Chicks? Is the same issues that we have with uh, Some Like It Hot, so obviously uh, the trans issues the gender inequality issues but yeah but also that also brings in the complete other side of race issues because it's too like african-american men dressing up as two white women mm. so do we have the same issues with white chicks as we do with some like
1: Hot, or even like big mama's house
6: well classic <laughs> classic
1: film or yeah. mi- mrs delphire for that matter yeah
0: was going to lasso Big Mama's house Big Mama's house too. To somebody, it might I mean. be. Ch- yeah, there yeah. There's three. Is there really? There's three. three. No. Good God. Um, They're given up after the first does one. Does anyone have a sort of response to the, the white chicks Big Mama's house issue?
2: Never seen them. Never showing them at GFT. Sorry, guys.
3: Gatekeeper. <laughs> we'll give you a shot. Oh, well, I've been them. I don't know if I have one. Um, I mean, I think the... I suppose I mean, it's,
0: it's, it's really, you know, there, there we have some Like It Hot rep- representing and being discussed. And we still ha- are having those discussions now with Big Mom's House and white chicks.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the kind of representation issues are just really complicated um, in terms of, like, you know, the black men dressing up as white women, like, intersectionally, there's possibly misogyny there, but, like, there's definitely not racism because of the dynamics of white and black relationships, like, so it's not racist, but there's probably misogyny in there somewhere um, it's a long, I've seen that film like once a really long time ago, so I can't comment on it in any detail um, but yeah, I, I, so I'm not really yeah.
0: sometimes, it, sometimes it's interesting to interrogate the intentions well I, mean, I remember the Eddie Murphy uh, movie where he plays multiple characters the n- nutty professor, mm-hmm. and he, he plays a woman in that, and it's done as he told me uh, with love, because it's based on his mother. So, you know, who knows what's going on in, 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 a, in a filmmaker or an actor's head. That's all we have time for. We've overrun massively. Um, yes. But it's. I think you agree, it's been brilliant. You've been brilliant. And so have Alison and Rebecca and Eve and Nick.